The great resignation is notable for uncommon careers which is an unprecedented employee demands. In a September 2021 Gartner poll of senior executives, 60% described themselves as significantly concerned about employee turnover. But that doesn't begin to capture the extent of today's talent challenge. Alexia Cambon, director for research at Gartner, says, Whether you face an attrition crisis or are planning your post-pandemic workforce strategy, you need to know when and how to repair, humanize, outcompete, or double down on recruiting efforts. You can't do that if you don't understand what's driving employees to quit in the first place. In this podcast for Future CIO, we look at some of the great resignation trends uniquely Asia, the changing behavior of employees, how employers are, should respond, and how technology and platforms can support the desires of both employees and employers. To help us understand this, we are joined by Ms. Alina Salakoba, Regional Director for S3. Alina, welcome to Podchats for Future CIO. Hello, Alan. Thank you so much for having me today. Pleasure is all mine. Now, let's start out. How real is the Great Resignation in terms of its impact to businesses in Asia? Yeah, great question to start with. <clears throat> Look, honestly, we didn't see the great resignation at the same time when it kicked off back to the U.S. They were actually uh, the first place where we saw the trend happening. However, it came to Asia as well. And as a regional director for the recruitment company within STEM market, especially, we see that trend at the moment as well here in Singapore and wider Southeast Asia region. I would say that for the last 12 months in this part of the world, we see the first step for the great resignation happening as well. We see the record numbers of employees voluntarily quitting their job, but as well as we see a lot of internal restructuring happening from the company side. Hence why uh, it's not normally one way when we have a candidate-driven market or the client-driven market, and you kind of can't predict what's going to happen. We see that happening from both angles, and that's what we need to deal with. Yeah, interesting era. Are the qualities or traits about the great resignation in Asia, are they unique in that sense? And if you look at Asia, who are these employees and what are they demanding? Look, if just maybe something in terms of some specifics for Asia, right? Something in numbers which would help us to understand the, the, the real situation out there. If we look at the current talent market and the labor market, let's say more than seven in 10 people would like to change the job in the upcoming six months. We are talking about more than 70% of the staff across various industries would be open to consider the new opportunities. That's the new for us. Another one what kind of proves the point about the great resignation kicking off in Asia as well would be that two out of three workers uh, I actually kind of feel that there is an additional pressure on them because some of their colleagues left the job for the last 12 months and the scope being reassigned to them, which then obviously didn't make the situation for them easy. Another one may be something as well for the employers, but as well as for the employees to think about. 97% of people with whom we talk for the last 12 months in Singapore say that they actually feel exhausted at the end of the workday and the working from home doesn't help a lot of people to actually have the balance between the work and personal life. What kind of uh, maybe industries were initially impacted with the first wave of change to happen in this part of the world? Based again on our knowledge would be obviously tourism and the avia industry. And it's kind of like the obvious reasons for that, right? But then we saw the change to happen in F&B space, in the retail space. That's not the core market we work with, but we see that we started to receive a lot of applicants from that industry trying to kind of consider the new career 
opportunities within the new markets for themselves. What we also see, and maybe something interesting to comment here, would be pandemic really enforced the idea about changing the sectors or the job uh, our candidates normally used to have. We see uh, much more agility coming from there and saying that they're happy and open to change, not just the industry, but within the new industry as well to get the new job off, which was not the case. I've been in Singapore now for six years, and I actually would say that I used to assess talent as more conservative, kind of preferring the security and the confidence as the as the key motivational driver, which is now we see that they are open for some interesting, uh, not very obvious steps uh, in terms of building their future career. Another one, what I believe also impacted us with the great resignation here in Singapore, obviously pandemic as it is, right? And how people were feeling being locked uh, at home and working remotely. First of all, the majority of the uh, talents were not ready and they were going through the transition and the change, which does require high level of agility, which again, unfortunately, companies didn't spend a lot of time to develop from the soft skills perspective. Second, when the habit kind of came to the talents, how to deal with working from home, working remotely, arranging the working environment and everything at home, it kicked off another problem. Our candidate, they were saying that they could not properly manage their time during the day and they didn't have that kind of switch off time. Normally, traveling to the office would give you a chance either to set up your day or to do something for your own benefit and the same as back home and then you kind of switch off. Even you have some late night calls and we do have them obviously in Singapore being a hub, right, for Southeast Asia and for a lot of multinational companies. But all the talents would normally have that break where with working remotely, we saw that uh, it was non-stop and uh, people stopped having lunch break. They stopped having kind of the 6 p.m. sharp or 7 p.m. sharp or 5 p.m. sharp end of the day. And it was all mixed. And obviously it did impact the mental well-being as well, which is a bigger topic. And I'm sure we're going to touch on them later today. Okay, so having understood that there are these um, soft issues that employees are feeling, are employees themselves willing to accede to the demands of uh, prospective employees such as this, a better work-life balance, as you say? And what kind of compromises are you seeing in the region? If you don't mind me starting from the company I manage, okay, because it's something which is close to my heart. We've done the ENPS employee survey uh, last October just to see, obviously, what are the good things happened during the 2021. And the results were great. I mean, we improved the score and uh, the key messages we were getting from our staff was uh, the fact how they happy with the way we manage the hybrid way of working and uh, the amount of flexibility we provide to them being a part of the sales organization, et cetera, et cetera. We decided to do another survey just kind of a pulse survey recently just to see how we are tracking uh, in terms of the key priorities. And apparently, I mean, we still managed to improve the score, but the key area for development, which was shared by our employees, were around the hybrid way of working. Because as obviously we all recall, um, Singapore government allowed us to have people back to the office and we try to be in line with the global hybrid uh, working policy we have within F3 and also obviously to be aligned with the local government. And we asked our employees to be back three days a week. And apparently people are not happy, Alan. Yeah, I was shocked because uh, actually I was looking forward, right? I was like, finally, it's going to happen. We're going to hang out more. It's easy because you can collaborate. You can learn from each other again, uh, being a part of the sales organization. But no, I mean, currently people are saying they don't see that as a flexibility. And we see that as well among our candidates with whom we work. The more and more I talk with head of human resources department here in Singapore who are responsible either locally or regionally, they all say that if it's not the production, they still try to keep 
keep the 100% kind of working remotely approach, at least giving that chance and provide that opportunity for people because otherwise they feel employees are really not happy. We also saw recently that that became a very often question from the candidates when they consider the new job and they actually ask about will I be allowed to work remotely or not? And if they are not, we saw some offer rejections coming through, which means, I mean, that obviously kind of one of the one of the key priority uh, nowadays. Another one we also saw not being able to work remotely as a reason to quit the job. That's why, yeah, I, I believe that's one of the interesting trends which pandemic kind of brought to us. Another one, maybe something again to, to share, the employees nowadays and the talents nowadays, what they would expect from companies is to have not kind of nine to five job anymore. And we need to be mindful about that, right? Uh, they really want to have the opportunity to work around their own schedule and their own time. Meaning, for example, let's say you have young kids and you know that every day you're going to wake up quite early and you have your one hour where you can actually, let's say, work before the school starts and you give that hour for your work, then you kind of switch off for your personal stuff and then you get back at 10 a.m. And then again, maybe you need to switch off at five because you need to pick up your kids and then you're back, I don't know, 7.30 or something. And it does require openness and flexibility from companies and also special setting within the company to ensure that employees can actually benefit out of that setup. But also it does require a lot of education, Alan. And I believe that's what we are still missing because it's not only about sending the communication that that's how we're going to work, right? It's how you educate your staff, what kind of benefits there for them, how they can utilize that properly, how companies going to support them in, again, being efficient and successful with that kind of new way of working. And also how companies mindful about the challenges they are facing. Plus, the last but not the least, we can't forget that the generation of talent is getting younger day by day. And obviously, the requirements they have compared, let's say, to our seasoned folks are very different. And we also need to be mindful when we kind of write some policies or guidelines. We need to assure that they do cover the interests of all your population of the stuff. That makes it a very challenging uh, position for HR to be able to cover a wide range of employee preferences, if you like, and positions. If I could side note a bit. So you've seen the great resignation happening in Asia right now. What are employees doing to fill in these open positions? And how do, as you say, I mean, you, you have a wide range type of people. You've got old people that are used to the nine to five or eight to six type of work environment in the office out there. And they've got the younger people the, that are demanding a bit more me time in, in addition. <laughs> to being employees. I'm trying to figure out what's in the mindset of these HR managers, uh, employers saying, uh, Cameron, who's the boss here? Is it the employer or the employee? How much should I give up in order to acquire the right set of talents? What's your thought on this? Okay, uh, maybe I will start with something we're going to see very soon and just kind of to prepare your listeners. Uh, human resources had as well as the key decision makers in the business need to understand that very soon we're going to feel even more shortage of talent. And again, Singapore is definitely not the exception. It's actually a very good example of that market. Despite all the efforts we see coming from the government again and from a lot of like government agencies. But the reality is the trend in terms of the, the opening and the hot job 
out there is still like the supply is not an uh, equal towards the demand. That's why that's going to continue for a couple of years at least. Hence why we're going to see much more fight coming from the companies for talent. Again, just to give you the example, as soon as 2022 started, we see much more offers coming to the same candidates from different companies. These offers are very, very lucrative from the financial point of view, as well as the job title point of view compared to the one they're having at the moment. Again, something in numbers, I'm sure your listeners would be very eager to get this information uh, from us directly. We see 30, 40, 50, and up to 60% increment right now for the key STEM markets. And when I refer to STEM markets, that's the kind of key focus for F3. In Singapore, it's your healthcare and life sciences, it's your technology and your banking and finance. And again, that's where we see again a huge involvement, right, uh, in terms of the efforts uh, coming from the Singapore government side. The last would be the renewable energy and the ESG, but that's the key priority for us moving forward in 2023. Saying all of that, uh, what companies need to do and how they need to address that? First of all, they need to make a fair judgment call where their company is playing. Are they playing in the shortage talent market or like their situation is better? Again, if we're talking about them, they are definitely playing within the shortage talent market. That's why they need to understand that the key priority for them is to get this best talent, uh, either steal from the competition, either to invest a lot of money in uh, developing from scratch, which take a lot of efforts and again, investment, or is to secure and retain your current talent, which is also a very big topic at the moment, because we see a lot of counter offers uh, on the market and companies finally started to realize that even I'm going to give like a good increment to my current employee right now, I would actually save more compared to spend three months of searching for another talent and then onboarding and then teaching, et cetera, et cetera, and then obviously retaining. That's why first is uh, to make the judgment call and to make that assessment internally, what kind of companies you you work for. Second, to see, again, depends if your global business, to look at the global practices, because I'm sure there are a lot of global practices already which they can just properly implement and use locally. In case a local or regional business, I would say start with a survey, do it anonymous, uh, really listen to your staff what they want, try to see uh, some particular trend out of the survey, and then have the proper workshop among your senior leadership team, using this data, seeing what the senior leadership team wants and believes in and try to align that. Again, stay very true to the fact which you receive as the survey result, which means be open to your employees' back. That's really important how you drive this communication channel. Commit on something you are capable to commit at the moment. Don't give the uh, promises which you can't deliver based on whatever reasons. That's why, again, commit on something you, you feel comfortable to commit. See what kind of the key milestones you need to go through to deliver that commitment and constantly follow up with this open communication back. The thing is, what our people want is not so much that you're going to reinvent the wheel tomorrow because they do understand that it does take time, but they want to be, be part of the journey together with you. Second, they want to feel that there is an uh, open, trustworthy communication channel. And even you fail by any reason, you feel comfortable to, to say about that openly, you know, and to kind of reiterate the message again, how it's important and what kind of steps you're going to take moving forward to assure that you address um, the issue. I've been recruited into the company. I'm new. You've made commitments as an employer with me. Even though you're not necessarily going to be able to achieve all of what you commit, as long as you communicate where the shortcomings are and what you're going to do to address those, employees are more willing to continue staying with the company. So it's like a, a, a retention strategy then. 
Absolutely. And uh, again, retention is the key. Uh, what we also see uh, among our customers, but as well as within every as a global uh, publicly listed company, that we don't talk about churn anymore. It's not part of the KPIs for their senior leaders. We do talk about the retention rate. Hence why when HR professionals are putting any strategy in place, they need to think about the retention rate. Again, they need to talk to their finance partners about their employee cost, especially when you lose the employee, especially Especially again with the high demanding key uh, niche uh, skill set, uh, where it's so hard to uh, to find the talent uh, externally. And what's the business outcome of not having that person? And what's the business ROI, return on investment of maintaining and retaining this this employee in the business for let's say the six and the twelve months, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Again, that's a lot of statistics. I mean, kind of statistics, right? Kind of maybe general messages. But I always say, and I'm a passionate believer that of course it gets back to the culture of the company and the culture of the uh, of the business uh, which which is driven and cascaded down uh, from the senior leadership team that's why if you believe that uh, the way your employee behaves are toxic to your culture because they're actually just trying to get the benefit out of the things you propose to them then maybe you need to make a call don't get me wrong and then maybe you need to put some limits and rules in place which will be in line with your kind of big umbrella of the company strategy but as well as with what employees want however as the world is changing, we also need to change together with the world. And the, the pace of that change is really important that we kind of catch the pace. Otherwise, if we're going to continue uh, managing our companies based on the kind of old school management style, it won't work out midterm and it's going to impact balance again retention in the business. If I may ask, this is my last question for us here. In most large organizations, you have an HR function and then you got functional leaders, right? Employees generally will work under these functional leaders, their bosses, but you've got HR whose job is uh, recruiting and to a certain degree, <laughs> trying to have retention strategies in place. How does uh, a company then balance between the requirements of HR to meet its KPIs, if you will, recruitment and retention versus those functional leaders that say, this is the job. You need to do it because you're, you're working for me in this organization. How do you find the balance between the two? Great question, uh, especially for the closing, uh, Alan. Look, it's a constant challenge, right? And I believe uh, what we see uh, among our customers, it does work well where there is a culture of the pure, true partnership between the line managers and the HR functions. And it's not built uh, overnight. It's something what companies invested in uh, for a long period of time, and that's where they see the benefit. And I would say that maybe, again, among the global MNCs, because it's easier for me to comment about them, maybe only 50% would actually stand out as the companies where you have that true partnership between line uh, managers and the HR functions, where uh, let's say the rest would be having different types of struggles or um, challenges. Now, if you if you have the challenge or there is no yet part of the culture where you have that true partnership in place, my advice would be, first of all, HR representatives, they should be part of the key uh, business strategy uh, kind of setting up agenda or the workshop or the offsite, whatever it is, because they need to feel from the very beginning what is their role in achieving the key business objective and uh, how, uh, again, the talent strategy should be um, set up for the upcoming year or five years to support that business strategy to be uh, achieved uh, in in the right uh, time frame. That's one. The second one, it should be very clear from the line managers, how do they see the role of the HR partner into the achieving that particular goal, which comes to talent, right? Uh, and what 
do they expect? What are their expectations? What are their needs? And again, to have a very open discussion, both parties should have courage to say no to each other and actually to challenge each other because HR obviously could comment from the HR perspective what won't work out and why, and then line could explain why it's important for them, et cetera, et cetera. But the last and not the least, again, I don't think I did say something which uh, your listeners never heard before. I think uh, what does help companies where both KPIs are aligned at the end of the day, meaning let's say I did mention previously that there is a retention rate uh, as a target right now for a lot of senior leaders uh, in the businesses. If you have the same target uh, in terms of the KPI for the retention rate for the HR partners and your sales leaders or whatever, finance leaders, technology leaders, they work hand by hand. Um, they do support each other because they know that they are responsible for the same desired outcome. And that's just the easy tool which companies could use to kind of shift the dial. And the last but not the least, I believe what is important, HR, needs, HR function needs to understand as well that they need to educate line managers how to do that. But it's possible only through the initial report building through partnership being again in place. Otherwise, um, your head of function would never listen to you because they would consider you only as a pure support function, right? That's why, yeah, it's a constant challenge. We see that it's working, but it does take time. That's why be patient. Alina, thank you for joining us on Podcast for Future CIO. Thank you so much for inviting. That was Alina Salakova, Regional Director for S3, on turning the great resignation into a competitive advantage. You are listening into Podchats for Future CIO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for a free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podchats for Future CIO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podchats for Future CIO. Bye for now.